Well, how far does a dollar go given to Ozark Christian College? Well, it trains a guy named Joe who winds up in the place he never thought he'd live ever, Bella Vista, Arkansas. So here I am. And so, man, Ozark Christian College, man, that is a, it's a school that's very close to my heart. It's where I trained in my undergraduate work. It's where I met my wife, Kirsten. And uh, it's a school that still blesses our church by different youth events. And, and um, Matt Proctor, who is the president of Ozark Christian College, is going to be with us for three days at our men's retreat coming up in a, in a few weeks and where he's gonna be roughing it with us for a few days. Well, we'll be five minutes outside of town, so I guess that's roughing. No, I mean, it's, it's gonna be great and we just love Ozark Christian College and we're thankful we get to be part of their ministry. Hey, if you haven't done so yet, please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter six. Genesis chapter six is where we're gonna be starting today as we continue to move through our series called Origins. And if this is your first time with us, um, we are studying our way through the book of Genesis, this book of Origins. And we are coming to today to what is perhaps the most well-known event in the Old Testament. It's known as Noah's Ark. And many people in our world today, even if they aren't believers, even if they haven't read the Bible before, even if they've spent very little time in church, they could tell you some things about Noah's Ark. I guarantee if you go down to downtown Bentonville today and just talk to 100 different people down there and, uh, and just say, tell me what you know about Noah's Ark, I would imagine most of them could rattle off a number of details because this story in, from the Bible just keeps finding its way in every generation throughout time into people's lives and a part of their culture, um, and it's just kept alive. Even, even without the Bible, this story just keeps, keeps going. And throughout history, this story of Noah's Ark has been uh, retold many times over through art and through uh, theater and through music and through operas. I mean, you can go back and trace it. All of this has been for, for, for many, many years, even to this day. The story of Noah's Ark is told in other ways. You know, have you been down to Branson in the last few years? How many got down there and saw that big production of Noah at the Sight and Sound Theater? How many of you got to see that in person? All right, uh, three of you. I would have thought more. But again, this isn't the spiritual service. It's not like, eight, no, I'm, I'm joking. I, I saw more hands, I'm just teasing. But like just down the road, this huge multi-million dollar production that tells the story of Noah, I, I'm kind of kicking myself for not going down there. Right now, they have got the production of Jesus in Branson. How many of you have seen that one? Boy, let me tell you, we did go see that one. It is worth your time. It is worth the money for the ticket to just go over there. It is a powerful representation of the life of Jesus. But th this is how, in many ways, we keep these, these stories going. Um, it's captivating. It's captivated audience for, for years. If you do a quick Google search and just type in something like Noah's Ark related stuff, you're gonna find thousands of things that are Noah's Ark themed. You're gonna find coloring books, uh, kids videos, stuffed animals, um, video games. Did you know that Nintendo a few years ago actually made a video game uh, about Noah's Ark? I mean, absolutely. Uh, card games. All kinds of Noah's Ark toys. Did you know that if you wanted one, you could order yourself a Noah's action figure? Did you know that? Noah has an action figure, and you can order it if you want. Um, inflatables. You guys ever have those at your kids' parties? You can get a Noah's Ark-themed inflatable. Kids can jump around inside there. Um, uh, every, everywhere, Noah's Ark is a part of our culture. Um, maybe you didn't know this. 
But did you know that the largest water park in the world is a Noah's Ark themed water park? Did you know that? It's up in Lake Delton, Wisconsin. And, and if you go in there, it's all Noah's Ark, world's largest water park in the world. Uh, and don't forget the movies. There have been lots of movies made about Noah's Ark. Did you ever see that Russell Crowe version of Noah? You guys see that, you know, the gladiator version of Noah. Um, that is a terrible movie. Uh, just, uh, you know, when it came out several years ago, it was a lot of controversy, and I, I'm like, I'll go see it, you know? And, and I went to see it, and as I was leaving, I literally said this to myself, I will never get that two hours back, ever, in my life. It's, it's not, it, loosely based on the Bible is maybe the way you would describe it, but, um, I mean, boy. But there was another movie not too long ago, I guess a couple years now, I don't remember when, but starring Steve Carell called Evan Almighty. Did you see that one? I actually like this one, it's not very close to the Bible, but it's kind of a modern day reinterpretation, if you will, of, of if Noah happened today, what would that look like? And it was cute and funny, and Steve Carell's hilarious. But I'll tell you, I tell you all that just because the story of Noah and the ark, it's out there in a lot of different ways, and it's out in front of culture, and it continues to stay out there in front of our society, and that's why people who've never spent much time in church or ever read the story from the Bible or aren't even believers, they could tell you something about Noah and his life. But if you want the real thing, if you want the real story from start to finish, not just a little bit here, not just a nugget there, not just a little thing you read on Facebook, but if you wanna know the whole thing, then you gotta go to the Bible. And that's exactly what we're doing here in this series. The Bible tells us that God regretted that he ever made mankind. Why? Because mankind had grown very corrupt. If you look at chapter six, verse five, let me just refresh your memory from last week. It says this, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And God gives us two examples of that evil in his heart. Do you remember what they were? There was a very, a very there was a laxness, if you will, regarding um, God's desire and design for marriage. He brings that out. People were marrying anyone they chose to marry. In fact, they were taking God's design for marriage and they were just throwing it out the window. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? And then God said that the world had become very violent. It become a very violent place. And he points that out. I don't like that. And so if you look at verse 11, chapter six, verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. It was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. And God regretted that he made mankind. The Bible says he was deeply troubled. So God decided that he is gonna enact his judgment on the earth and all the inhabitants of the earth because of just how corrupt it had become. But in the midst of all of this corruption, we read what? But Noah. But Noah. Noah was this righteous man that the Bible says he was blameless among the people of his time. There was something about Noah that set him apart from every other human being on earth and that caught God's eye. And so God elevated Noah to become a second Adam, if you will. And Noah is basically Adam 2.0. God's gonna start over the human race with, Adam, or with, with Noah and his family. He would become like a second father after God enacts his judgment 
on the world. So let's pick up right where we left off last week. Look at verse 13 of chapter six. Here's what happens. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring flood waters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Now, we're not gonna read the entire account of Noah today in the flood because that entire account goes from chapter six all the way through chapter nine, but I'm gonna trust that you have read it or you are going to read it. I've been encouraging you to read the book of Genesis because we're not covering every single detail. But what you're gonna notice throughout those chapters is that God gives Noah some very specific instructions and at every turn, Noah completely obeys God. God tells him what to bid, build, how to build it, when to enter the ark, when to come out of the ark, and at every turn, Noah did exactly what God wanted him to do. Now, I go back and look at Noah's life, and what was the distinguishing mark about Noah? It says that Noah walked with God. On a practical level, that simply means that Noah obeyed God. God told him to do something, Noah obeyed. Noah's life was categorized as obedience to God. Whatever told him to do, he just did it. And I think about us today, just like Noah, we, each one of us in this room, are called to walk with God. And practically, what does that look like? How do we do that? We do that the same way that Noah did, living every single day of our lives very determined to obey God. That's how we walk with God. We are just determined to do what he wants us to do. So I look at Noah's life and there's not one time that I see Noah questioning God or arguing with God over what he told him to do. I don't see that in other great people in the Bible. We see a lot of arguing with God. You know, like, well, what about this? And I don't know if I wanna do this. And we're gonna see it even before we're done with Genesis. But not once did Noah ever argue with God. And I find that really remarkable because there is a high probability that when God told Noah to build a boat, Noah had no idea what a boat was. Now just think about it. There's a high probability that, that Noah did not even know what rain was when God told him to build the ark and talking about floodwaters over the earth. Now, um, this is probably one of those areas that some of you have been taking deeper dives on your own and you've asked, hey, I wanna dig deeper into certain areas. 
This would be a great area for some of you who want to really start to dig deep and, and look at what creation scientists have written about and studied about what the pre-flood world was possibly like. We didn't spend much time with this, but if you go back to chapter 2, uh, verse 5 through 7, the Bible says that the Lord had not sent rain on the earth, but that the streams of water came up from the earth and it watered the whole surface of the ground. Now, what's kind of difficult to discern, quite honestly, is whether this lack of rain was a temporary thing or if it was something that was permanent all the way up until the days of Noah. It's, it's hard to say. But I can tell you that some very credible scholars, some creation um, scientists, um, can put forth some pretty compelling evidence that it had not rained yet over the surface of the earth. In fact, what they'll say, and again, this is one of those really fascinating things, that there is this belief that there was a, a water vapor, canopy, if you will, surrounding the earth, and that probably contributed to why people lived hundreds and hundreds of years. Then after the flood, the, the, everything changed on the earth, and, and more ultraviolet rays got through, and, and, and people were living shorter lives, and some of you are like, you're talking crazy, Joe. What are you talking about? Uh, well, you go research it. There's some really interesting things. But I find it fascinating that Noah just obeyed God at every turn, even if he didn't know what God wanted him to do. And it didn't even make any, any sense for him. And I can tell you, I think about our lives today, and there are things that, that God would have us do and ways that he wants us to obey and ways he wants us to walk faithfully. And, and, and it may not even make sense in our culture. And your friends would look at you and say, what are you living that way for? That doesn't make any sense. I, I can tell you, there are times, and I know you feel it too, that, that we take a stand for God and we watch the whole world go the other way. And they even make fun of us as they go the other way. But we still are obedient to God. You know, Mike Del Cavo is a name that I would not expect any of you to know. Um, he was a, a, a cross-country athlete at a small Division II school from Gunnison, Colorado, uh, Western State College. And this is back in the early 90s, and he was running in a 10,000-meter um, race for the championship. And the reason why this is even known today and why people pay attention to it today is because uh, Mike was predicted to do very well in this race. And about halfway into the race, he's about halfway back the pack, in the pack, and he realizes that the leaders in front had taken a wrong turn. And I guess you can do that in cross country. I guess you're running through different paths. I wouldn't know personally. It wasn't one of my sports, okay? I know that's a shocking revelation to you. I never ran cross country. But the leaders of the race took a wrong turn. And Mike realized that everybody in the race was taking this wrong turn. And as he got to that crucial turn, he turned the correct way. And as he's running, he's like, guys, it's this way. It's this way. And only four people out of 128 runners followed him. 123 racers went the wrong way. And here's why that's a critical detail of this story. It's because when they turned the wrong way, it shaved half a mile off the course. 123 racers went half a mile shorter distance than Mike. At the end of the race, Mike would come in 103rd place. Now you would think, here's a shocker, you would think that the race official would say, well, only five of you went the correct way. Everyone else is disqualified. The race was between five guys, which he would have won. No, 
The officials got together at the end of the race and decided since 123 of the runners went the wrong way, we will just, just reroute the race to be half a mile shorter and, and, and that will be the race. That's not fair, is it? He lost the championship because of everyone else going the wrong way. And there was a reporter there that asked Mike, after all this came down, how are you feeling about this? Well, you know how he felt about it. And then they asked this question, what did the other runners who all went the wrong way, what did they say to you for going the right way? And this was his answer. They thought it was funny that I went the right way. Friends, we live in a world that's not all that different from Noah's day. And people will look at you funny for going the right way. People will laugh at you. People will, 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 will scoff at decisions that we make as Christians that we believe is right when everybody else is choosing a different way. Friends, if you are a man that follows Christ and you say, I am going to be faithful to God and I am going to not be intimate before marriage and I'm gonna trust God in all that areas of my life, you will stand alone and your friends will laugh at you. But you're gonna be like Mike who chooses the right way when everyone else goes the wrong way. And that is walking with God. When you're at work and you see a little loophole, you say, if I just fudge a little bit here and I can make this, make a little bit more money and no one's ever gonna know. And you say, I'm not gonna do that, even though everybody else is. And you're gonna stand alone and everyone's gonna go that way and they're gonna laugh at you. Why? That's funny that you're not taking advantage of this. No, I'm gonna walk with God in obedience. And that's not what somebody who walks with God does in this generation. I will live with integrity. Friends, I could give you a hundred examples of how the world is going the wrong direction and they will laugh at you when you choose what is right but it's no different than Noah's day. Are you going to walk with God or not? You know, I think about, about Noah and, and the days that he was, was, was living and, and, and when he started to build this ark and what, what people must have been thinking. I mean, he had neighbors, you know he did, and, and here's Noah starting to, to, to build this thing, and you can imagine that, that uh, neighbors would start showing up and say, Noah, what are you building? And Noah would say, I'm building a boat. What's a boat? I don't know, but God told me to build it. Why? Well, he's gonna flood the earth. It's gonna start raining one day. Rain, what's rain? I don't know, but it's coming. And I gotta build this thing big enough for all the animals of the world to get on and save the, the, the animal kingdom. What? What are you doing? You can imagine the ridicule. I can imagine, you know, this boat was so huge by the time he was done with it that if uh, Noah tried to build the ark in Bella Vista, you know the POA would have been knocking on his door. <laughs> what is this? What is this thing next to your house? But this went on for a really long time and Noah just says, God's gonna destroy the earth. Uh, you know, anybody wanna come with me? You wanna save this, this, yourself from this destruction? I, I can just imagine as the years went by, the laughter increased, the neighbors tell the other neighbors, you know, they come in small groups, you know, I'm speculating here, but you know, it's like, you know, the, God told me to build the boat. And their response had to have been laughter. This goes on for approximately 100 years. Noah built, Noah preached, people laughed, but Noah kept on building and he kept on preaching and they kept laughing. No one would listen. Nobody wanted to go with them. This would go on for, for decades, all up until the day that God told Noah to enter the ark. Now, look at chapter seven, verse six. 
Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. I want you to see this important detail. It was God who caused all the animals to come to the ark. Noah didn't have to go out and catch them. It's not like one day he's building the ark and he says, all right, I'm gonna go out and check my traps, get the squirrels in here today. And no, it wasn't like that at all. The animals came because God told the animals to come. They came, you know, two of every kind of animal and, and the other animals that God gave instructions as you go back and read the different kinds of animals that, that came. And it seems like to me that it was during that seven day period. Remember when God said, no, it's time for you and your family to get in the ark. It was in that seven day period, that's when all of these animals started to come in droves. They all showed up at the same time. And I think about that, I visualize what that had to look like. Thousands of animals starting to move in in an orderly fashion right up the ramp into the ark. That had to have been a very powerful demonstration of God's movement during that time. Uh, now here's something I find very interesting. In the New Testament, the apostle Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he makes a reference to Noah, and he calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. So we can assume that, you know, for years, Noah didn't hold back from calling people to obey God, but they would not obey God. Yet here comes, in a seven-day period, all of these animals who are obeying God. Birds, animals, all kinds of creatures. They knew their creator's voice and they obeyed him. But the people that were actually made in God's image refused to listen or take notice of God, what God was doing. I find that fascinating. The animals sure seemed to know and they obeyed, but the people made in God's image would not. You know, I believe that this has always been a problem for us people. We have this rebellious vein that runs through each of us. We're not there yet in our study of, of Genesis, but we will be before we're done. But we're gonna learn about the birth of the Israelite people and where they came from. And the, the Israelite people, this is God's chosen people that we track with all the rest of the way through the Old Testament. Uh, they would, the Hebrews, the Jews, they go by several names. And we're gonna learn about how they came to be. And if you know their story throughout the entire Bible, they didn't always listen to God either. They, they had a rebellious vein through them just like we do. Now, centuries later, one of the great prophets of God, his name was Isaiah. And God had called him to pronounce judgment on the Israelites for their rebelliousness and their sinful ways. And and what Isaiah says right from the get-go in Isaiah chapter one reminds me of this seven-day period of time when the animals came pouring into the ark. Isaiah says this in judgment to the Israelites. He says this in verse three of chapter one. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manager, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. 
This is Isaiah drawing a parallel. The animals know God better and they recognize his voice more than you do. And here we go back to the flood and all these animals, they obeyed God. They know their master's voice, but the people that should know it the most, they refused to listen and they didn't know it. You know what this means? It means your little dog, Skippy, that likes to lay at your feet, may know God better than you. And that would be a shame that your dog would be more responsive to God's voice than you. That's what we're seeing here. The animals respond and God's people who should don't. Now look at verse 11 of chapter seven. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the seventh day of the second month, you're gonna notice it gets very specific with these days. It's very important details here. On that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. And rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that day, that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind. Everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. That's an important detail. God shut the door. Just shut him in. For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth and as the waters increased they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. That's about 22 feet of water the best we can tell. Think about the highest mountain in the world covered by at least 22 foot of water. That's something. Every living thing that moved on the land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah and those with him, uh, only, only Noah was left, and those with him in the ark. That's quite a remarkable story. You know, I want you to know that the ark was not built for navigation. So it's not like after the rain stopped, Noah said, Shem, Ham, Japheth, raise the sails, grab the rudder. Where do you want to go? It wasn't that at all. The ark was a 450 foot long, 75 foot wide, 45 foot tall lifeboat for Noah and his family to live in for a little over a year. I think, you know, to really appreciate the enormity of Noah's ark, you really should take the time to go visit the ark encounter in Williamstown, Kentucky. How many of you have done that before? 
Yeah, a number of you. There, there's an organization that built, uh, to the best of their knowledge, the exact dimensions of the ark. And it is a world-class exhibit. It's part of the Creation Museum and the Answers in Genesis group and Ken Ham. And it's, it's an organization you should, as a Christian, become very familiar with. Um, but they built this ark. We've been through it. It's phenomenal. You can go inside and they really do just a top-notch job of helping you feel and understand all the events of the flood story and what it would have been like to live on the ark for, for uh, a year. And, and moms and dads, you need to take your kids there. You need to take your kids there because it'll help combat some of the lessons they're learning in school. It will give them the other perspective. Take the time to go and take your kids and take the day and walk through this. You will not regret it. Well, please do make sure you read all of Genesis 6 through 9. Um, after being cooped up inside the ark for 378 days, Noah and his family they came out of the ark. God opened the door. And do you know what the very first thing Noah did when he came out of the ark? The very first thing, do you remember what it was? He builds an altar and he worships God. This is why Noah walked with God. The first thing he did, I'm gonna worship. Now jump over to chapter nine. Look at verse one. Then God blessed Noah and his sons saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds of the sky and every creature that moves along the ground and all the fish in the sea, they are given into your hands. You ever wonder why animals run away from you naturally? God puts this fear in them now. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. So, so God makes a covenant with Noah um, never to destroy the earth again by a worldwide flood. And in God's incredible vision and, and wisdom, he gives us a sign of this covenant every time it rains. We know what it is, right? God puts a, a rainbow in the sky. So every time that we see a rainbow, it's not just a reminder to us, it's a reminder to God of this covenant that he makes with Noah that he will never again destroy the earth with a worldwide flood. And it annoys me that another group has stolen our symbol. Does it annoy you? Does me. We want our rainbow back. Now there's plenty of meat left on this bone, so to speak, for you to dig into yourself and with your life groups uh, this week. And if you, if you haven't done so, grab the life group questions. They're also in the app. Study it out for yourself. There's so much there. But I wanna, I wanna kind of bring this to conclusion today by sharing one more really important detail with you. The flood happened many, many years ago. We know that. But did you know that the ark gives us a glimpse of our future as well? It really does. Just as God kept Noah and his family safe above the floodwaters, so God will keep his church safe from the fullness of his wrath at the second coming of Jesus. You know, God promised that he would never destroy the earth again in a worldwide flood, but he never promised that he would never destroy the earth again. In fact, if you read on into the New Testament, it's very quite clear that the next time God's judgment falls on the earth, the earth will be destroyed by, by fire at the end of time after the second coming of Jesus. But like in the days of Noah, who was a preacher 
of righteousness, God gave man an opportunity, 120 years from when he pronounced his judgment, that they could turn from their ways. I'm one of those who believes that even if one person had, had listened to Noah and repented and followed God, I believe they could have gone on the ark too. But no, in the end, only eight people were saved. Noah and his wife, their three sons and three daughter-in-laws. That is it. For 100 years of preaching, eight people in all, not one person wanted to obey. Not even all the animals showed up in that seven-day period of time. Not one person would go. So eight people in all were, survived the flood by entering the ark. There was absolutely no other way on the planet where they could have been saved except by going into the ark. And in the same way today, mankind is saved and only saved inside of the body of Christ. There's absolutely no other way to be saved today. It's in the body of Christ. Last week I shared with you that the pre-flood world, in my mind, has many similarities to the United States of America that we're living in today. I see those parallels very clearly. Uh, Max Lucado is a very famous preacher and author. He wrote a book called When Christ Comes, and he also highlights the parallels, and I think he highlights them better than me. So let me just share with you what he said. He says, back in Noah's day, there was a message of judgment that was proclaimed then, and that message of judgment is still being proclaimed today. People didn't listen then, and many people still don't today. Noah was sent to save the faithful. Christ was sent to do the same. A flood of water came then, a flood of fire will come next. Noah built a safe place out of wood. Jesus made a safe place with the cross. Those who believe then hid in the ark, and those who believe today are hidden in Christ. And most important, what God did in Noah's generation, he will do at Christ's return. He will pronounce a universal, irreversible judgment on mankind. And according to Jesus, his own very words, that when he returns, it will be just like it was in the days of Noah. Now in, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, these are Jesus' words. He says, but about that day or hour no one knows, he's talking about the second coming when he's gonna return. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and given into marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So in other words, when Jesus comes again, the world will be consumed with themselves. They will be consumed with their own lives. They will not be consumed by the things of God. 
Most won't even be expecting the second coming of Jesus. They will not be watching for it and waiting for it. It will, it will come and it will be following them just like the flood did in Noah's day. It caught them by surprise. And when Jesus comes again, whenever that day is, it will catch the world by surprise again. The great news is, unlike in Noah's day, people still have time now. How much time? I have, I have no idea. But at least at this very minute, there is still time. Time for somebody who is lost to be found. Time for somebody to repent of their sins and choose to follow Christ and, and have a new life. And I can tell you, as a believer, as the church, that day that comes is not anything that we ever have to dread. I think John MacArthur says it really well when he says this, the body of the ark bore the wrath that God rained down on creation, but those inside the ark remained completely dry. The full wrath of God against sin and death ultimately poured down on Christ as he hung on the cross, but those who have been redeemed by Christ will never feel one drop of the Father's wrath. So the second coming of Jesus is not anything to be dreadful of. The wrath of God being poured out on mankind like it was in the days of Noah, when the Lord does it again, we will be safe in the arms of Jesus. Well, you're gonna meet plenty of people today, I know many of you had, that will say things like this. The flood of Genesis never happened. Have you ever had that conversation with anybody? It's all make-believe. They'll claim that uh, this part of the Bible is just a myth. And what's really sad is that you're gonna hear that message inside of many churches too. There are many preachers in very progressive churches that would, that would tell their congregation that, uh, that this narrative story in the Bible is only allegorical. It's meant to be read metaphorically, and we read it metaphorically so that we can gain some deeper truths. Friends, I want you to know something today. If you're ever sitting in church and the preacher says the flood never happened, it's just a story that we're supposed to gain some good truth from, I want you to get up and I want you to walk out of that church because they don't want you there anyway. Trust me, their agenda is different. That preacher's got different motives. They don't want Bible believers in their church, trust me. So just get up and leave if you ever hear a preacher say that. But it's just allegory. It's just a story. It didn't actually happen. And that's the message of an unbelieving generation that will not believe that there's a coming fire in their future. So if you ask me, Joe, do you believe that the flood event actually happened? You know what my answer is? Yes. And you know why I believe it? Because Jesus believed it. That's why I believe it. Because Jesus believed it. In Luke chapter 17, verse 27, this is what Jesus said about the flood. He said, people were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. I believe it because Jesus believed it. I don't think we should ever lose sight, friends, that what we just read about today were real people. These were real events in history. And if modern science claims 
that this never happened, then we must choose to place our faith in God's word and not the teachings of man. And that's all about walking obediently with God. What does it mean to walk with God? We walk in obedience. And what does that walking in obedience look like? We obey God's word. And then we follow what God's word says. It's that simple. Let me pray for you. Dear God, I just thank you so much for your holy word. And that in your wisdom, you shared with us the events that are taking place in Genesis 6 through 9. About a man who was righteous in his time, blameless among his evil generation, who chose to obey you, even when it didn't make sense, even when he was made fun of, even when culture was going a completely different direction, he just chose simply, I'm just gonna obey God. And that obedience saved him from the wrath of the flood. And Lord, I hope that you help us today in the same way, understand that we're like Noah. That Lord, our, our, our walk with you and our obedience is to Christ who died on the cross and shed his blood. And, and the Bible says that all those who believe in faith will be saved. We're saved by what Jesus did. And those who are saved are those who believe. And Lord, I, I know that we are safe from the coming wrath of your second coming because we are safe in the body of Christ. So like Noah in the ark was safe from your wrath, we are safe with Jesus from the same wrath that will come. And I pray, God, that we'll be a church that preaches righteously, faithfully, that we'd be men and women who love generously and, 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 and would be willing to share with whomever may listen that there's a God who loved the world so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So Lord, this is our prayer. We ask for your help. Help us to walk daily, proclaim boldly, and wait with great anticipation for your return. Lord, may you find us faithful when you do. In Jesus' name, amen.